Hello and welcome to the Lorthos Cast. I'm Brian Doss. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Carrie Thomas. And uh, it's us three again, just like last week. And we're kind of doing the same thing as last week, too. I promise this is a new episode. You're not listening to a repeat. Uh, So, uh, Or are we? Are we? Boy, do I love it being May 19th. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No, we, uh, we're definitely recording this a week after we recorded the previous episode. And we can prove that because there's news uh, that came out since last week, which is, uh, well, actually the same news as last week that the Magic the Gathering Commander Legends D&D Battle for Baldur's Gate previews are coming out. So that that hasn't changed. Um, we, we do know <laughs> that uh, we, we have a new comic coming out. Uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's written by Sean and McGuire, and it is all about a Johnny Goldmane coming from Boom. Uh, second time a Johnny Goldmane has gotten a comic, right? <laughs> second? Well, I mean, three times if you count the original web comics, even though they were published for web before published in print. But yeah, I mean, he's made it quite a few times now. We just don't talk about that second one. <laughs> <laughs> but But in all honesty, I am happy that Boom is getting enough success with their um mainline magic boom comic that they are comfortable doing spin-off series because more spin-off series the better honestly and it's kind of um i know i was cynical and pessimistic about them doing comics for the uh nth time or trying to take a stab at comics for the nth time but in all honesty boom kind of got creative freedoms that i guess idw didn't in the past or other comic publishers didn't in the past in the recent past and now we get cool stuff so i'm excited for a johnny i'm excited for more hidden planeswalker monthly i'm excited to find out who the hidden planeswalker is so we'll get there uh, you know you should have read uh the issue that came out last week as of the podcast release date this week as of recording uh, which is definitely May 26th and not the 19th. Um, we uh, we got a new issue of Hidden Planeswalker, and we got to meet the new Hidden Planeswalker. So uh, it's pretty cool. You should uh, you should check it out. I don't want to spoil anything. It's got some great uh, Liliana moments, as per usual. It's got Tezzeret and sunglasses. I did wanna... see a screen <laughs> yeah. of that. <laughs> if you want to see Tezzeret and sunglasses. Uh, real Real interesting, cool stuff going on there. Um, we'll have to like have like an episode where we rehash the entire Hidden Planeswalker because it's only like four issues, I think. So we'll do that in like a few months. We're at two of four, so come uh, July, we'll have something interesting, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and then August, a Johnny comes out, so we can start with that. But uh, other than comics, the only other like interesting thing going on is the rollout of some really cool stuff on our Twitter page over last week. You might have caught it. Uh, we revealed some character arts and then also the full art for a playmat that we're going to be doing. So, yeah, you can go check out our Twitter. It'll be posted there. We'll post it in the Discord. Um, maybe post it onto Patreon once one of us gets access to Patreon again. <laughs> um, and uh, you'll be able to go find our uh, the full art for that playmat, and you can see individual arts that each of us have. It's really cool to like look at a version of myself, but a wizard. 
really chill looking wizard. It's awesome. Yeah, I've got like a necklace of teeth and no one has pointed that out yet, but I was really insistent that I also have my little phylacteries there. Um, since <laughs> as a lich, uh, a tooth lich specifically, I would want to make sure I had those on me at all times. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's really exciting. Really cool stuff. Andre Garcia did the art and it's just amazing. The playmat sale date will be announced probably on the cast, probably by Jay at some point or another. We're still, we we have freshly gotten the art, so we are gloating yeah. about it now. We will figure out the logistics of um, getting the actual playmats out to people and available for order uh, later. Yeah, there probably won't be a ton of them. I think the last time we did playmats, we made like 25 or something, and I have one of them, and then like each of the each person in the cast had one, so it was like twenty-ish, essentially, out to the public. But we will we will assuredly be talking on our Discord server about gauging interest and seeing exactly how many we should order. Um, I don't think anybody wants to be the the person with fifty leftover Worthos cast playmats in their house. But <laughs> see, <laughs> we'll try to. I I have this weird argument that i'm perfectly fine with being the person with a hundred or several hundred of them if i can have a certain quality of them <laughs> just just uh, one per day as your desktop playmat <laughs> just like have them under your sink and you use them to like clean up spills and toss them oh, no. you're done. <laughs> i, I um, hope they wouldn't be resigned to that fate but yeah uh, oh no i <laughs> you use them to carpet your bathroom or something it's like normal stuff you do with a playmat it also would have been uh, i think a little more exciting for us to have the new playmats out and ready if we were doing a live event but also live event requirements have changed quite a bit very recently <laughs> so we are no longer doing <laughs> or no longer planning on uh, any live events that we were happening to plan on that may or may not have been a cg con who knows I mean, there's still an event in Atlanta coming up at the end of the year, I think. And so... Uh, oh, Dreamhack? Dreamhack. Yeah, Dreamhack yeah. doesn't seem to be too, too chill with, you know, um, trying to prevent the spread of COVID. So we'll we'll have to keep an eye on them to see what their requirements are. But yeah, we would love to do one. It is the realistic uh, feasibility of not catching the deadly disease <laughs> while doing so. Which I have, yeah, which I have very recently caught this week, and uh, oh no, yeah, it was not a fun experience. And also, like, I'm triple vaxxed. It's still not a fun experience, yo. Like, please, I don't. I I really can't say anything to the public at this point to be like, hey, this was the shittiest time ever. Uh, still take precautions, but like. Well, our government has given up on us. <laughs> so, what do I possibly say except for uh, maybe maybe we'll eventually be able to do live events sometime or later? I'm uh, I'm honestly surprised that I've managed to avoid it for as long as I have. So, just gonna cross my fingers and hope that I can continue to do so. But we'll see. Yeah, uh, me too. But yeah, we we have to keep me and Brian from catching it because you know. Uh, we haven't had it in two years and I'm, I'm really, I want to go the full time. Chris, you got um, some, you got something in that coffee cup of yours. So, um, I don't <laughs> think that's COVID. That might be something. Honestly, I would, uh, maybe I'd be down for what the, what's in the coffee cup. Um, 
Oh, we got a Mishra apologist over here. (laughs) Look, I'm just saying, I don't know if Mishra did anything wrong, really. Uh, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Sir. Sorry, I, you know, it's a, it's a fun time, you know, being uh, Phyrexianized. But anyways, um, we have stories to talk about, speaking of phoresis and glistening oil. Uh, but first, we're going to start off with a couple of short stories from New Capenna side stories. Uh, we covered three of them last week. We're covering three this week. Two of them are very much Capenna related, and the other one is Capenna related by virtue of archiving in the Capenna section. By tangent. <laughs> by yeah. tangent. Uh, so... Uh, do we want to jump in with those? Yeah. We'll start off with a um, special vampire story. Vampire main character, Dr. Michael Morbius. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we will, we will go ahead and talk about the family man, Anhelo, um, who is Xander's second in command. And while he is out in the uh, not-so-nice district with his daughter... Um, he takes a stop by an obscure shop and talks to Tolas, who is his Toulouse. 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 Uh-huh. Stops by an obscure shop and talks to Toulouse, who will be. What is that relation? If your daughter is marrying my daughter, you're just like you're in-laws? in laws. Yeah, I guess in laws. Like it's it's a messy relationship. But the, the word before in law is sort of vague. We don't know what that word would be. Yes, in law is parents. <laughs> parents in laws ish. Um, regardless, and Hello's daughter will be marrying uh, Talos's daughter. What what was that word again? Toulouse. Toulouse. Um, will be marrying Toulouse's daughter, um, and he is coming to her on the day before the wedding to ask for information about a woman in white who has been seen about in the city. Um, Elspeth. <clears throat> is it actually Elspeth? Cause that, yeah, he's, that, he's there to okay. ask about Elspeth. It's, that went it's, right over my head the entire time. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's like a, it's just like a little aside where he says like, there's some woman in white who's been asking around about, you know, stuff and, Hanging out in the district, and it's it's implied to be Elspeth. There we go. <clears throat> um, in response, uh, she tells him that he has to take a um, hit job for her <laughs> <laughs> on a man named Fiero Vespin, a maestro who has been causing problems for her daughter, uh, Parnice, and who is Parnice is the one who is marrying and hello's daughter. Um, errant that next day is the wedding that is a steep price for some information i'm just gonna say that yeah especially like not super valuable information in the end like i, I think the she- idea here is that it's not necessarily like the information like she could have just given him the information for anything but she's yeah. just telling him like hey by the way this dude has been like harassing and roughing up my daughter who your daughter is marrying and he's gonna cause some trouble at the wedding so like deal with him there she's like asking a favor while also saying like will you kill this man who is bothering our you know my child and your soon-to-be child-in-law still a steep price yeah <laughs> i mean murder is like a normal thing so and hello is it though? and hello takes the time to uh, send an invitation to 
the man Fiero Vespin to come tour the Maestro Museum um, with him that very next morning, the day of the wedding. Um, and and Hello collaborated with Evelyn, another Maestro artist, to secure a perfect location and statue to use for his artistic crime at this point. <laughs> uh, he invites Fiero to meet, sets the trap, and then kills him in a pretty fantastic fashion. It is, the way I understand it, a suspended statue arm holding a sword just kind of like splits him right. It's an Yeah, like cleanly in half. Yeah. No, it's like an axe and it takes his head off and the blood spurts out everywhere and like in Hellowood carved grooves in the, the floor to like the fate of traitors or something like that. It's like, it's pretty neat. Oh, okay. There you go. So, um, after the actual incident takes place, um, he's got to get to the wedding. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Hello rushes and ends up dreading having to take a cab to make it to the wedding. Um, but he finds one and hops in and notices something is off pretty immediately. Um, it turns out that the driver of the cab is a man who is seeking Angelo for vengeance um, because Angelo assassinated his father on the day of his birthday like yeah. it was it's pretty it's pretty just like mafia tactics at this point um they struggle and hello stabs him the car crashes into a riveteer transport um turns out the trunk is full of stolen riveteer halo um riveteers start attacking and hello uh toulouse arrives and cleans up the situation and helps him escape um Toulouse takes him in her car to the wedding. He gets healed in the car. He gets a new designer suit in the car. He doesn't look like he was literally in an accident 15 <laughs> minutes ago. Uh, gets him cleaned up, and he does get to walk with his daughter um, during the wedding ceremony. So that's where the story leaves off. I find it hilarious that he's able to plan this murder to such extravagant detail and then forgets to to book some kind of ride to his daughter's <laughs> wedding knowing the time crunch yeah i mean artists right you know <laughs> <laughs> i yeah i love this story so much this is like my favorite of the side stories and hello is like a great dad and also just a really fun character um the murder is so fun because like i'm gonna I, get put on a list for saying that aren't i um. <laughs> <laughs> the the murder itself i was expecting there to be a twist in the murder because he just seems so fucking oblivious the entire time yeah. but no he's just I was actually, waiting for the other he's yeah. actually that oblivious and just dies for it <laughs> which <laughs> I, it has to happen at some point because i mean the twist is that of course the um person who and how essentially offhandedly mentions Having killed earlier, of course, the kin of that person comes to try to get their vengeance on um, the day of the wedding so that he can ruin it just as horribly as and hello ruin the birthday party. But still, it's just like, I don't know, he, he did kind of walk right into it and stand <laughs> where he was supposed to stand. <laughs> uh it's great i mean like it it really gives you an idea of who the maestros are where like they're like yeah no we're assassins but like we take it very seriously <laughs> it's like we we won't just like you know shoot you in a back alley uh they they are like setting up an entire art display 
making an exhibit of a murder. It's pretty great. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if my daughter was marrying the love of her life and, you know, she, her mother came to me and said like, oh, this guy's been harassing her. I mean, I might also set up a very complicated art exhibit murder machine. Uh, You know, it's just what a dad would do, right? Note of the day, Chris is also a sociopathic murderer. I mean, it's been known for a long time, let's be honest. (laughs) I know I mentioned parallels to Guilds of Ravnica in the previous episode, but is it, like, Ravnica rules where I guess you can just, like, kill, and as long as you're not killing somebody of an opposite guild, like, nobody actually gives a shit? Because it's like, he does kind of just get offed, and then Angela's like... My job here is done. I'm going to get to a wedding. It's like, nobody's (laughs) going to investigate it. Nobody's going to miss this dude. Yeah, like, Toulouse couldn't do it because, you know, she's in another family, so she doesn't want to start an inter-family war, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's just like, very lax. Also worth mentioning, uh, this story was written by K. Arsenault Rivera, who famously wrote the Innistrad stories for both Midnight Hunt and Crimson Val. So this is the second vampire wedding. Uh, that she's written um, in Magic Story, because Parnes, who is Toulouse's daughter, is a vampire. Uh, Errant is not, so you know. Uh, but they're getting married, so it's a it's a vampire wedding, just like before, and uh, written by the same author. Love it. it. Makes me wonder how long Errant is going to not be a vampire. Yeah, I exactly, Lillian. Yet it was a little, yeah, it's a little confusing uh, about how vampires really work in Capenna. It's we don't really have like a lot of info on that. We know Xander was like, I don't even, the first one. It seems to not be like a major modifier to how your life is lived, which is like, I mean, he does get to get like in a car crash and know that he will survive it, but like, it doesn't seem to be like that big of a boon. Um, yeah, it's not like pure immortality like uh, on Innistrad where someone was able yes. to survive being impaled by grinding rocks. Or like s- the social dominance that I guess comes with Innistrad where it's just like, I'm above everybody else. Yeah, there's still some like, you know, poor vampires working down in the, <laughs> the, the, the what's called Dea, which we called Caldera like every time we said it last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, family, family man, very good story. Uh, love Errant, love Parnes, love and hello to lose was great. Lights out to lose. She like shows up and everything goes dark and then she just murders everyone. Love it. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this one before we move on to the next one? Cause we've got to cover three stories in one episode. No, go ahead. The next story is Alley Cat Blues by Rhiannon Rasmussen. Who also wrote The Dusk Reborn, uh, the story about Liesa. So, if you're curious about, uh, we got two returning authors this week. So, the story starts off with Kit Kanto. Uh, a Le- oh my god, are they Leonin here? They're Leonin, right? Yeah, they're Leonin. Mm-hmm. For some reason, like, Tabaxi came to mind. I'm like, oh my god, too much D&D, Jesus. <laughs> We're not there yet. Uh, Leon- <laughs> Leonin, uh, like street urchin who's basically singing on the subway for spare change uh catches the attention of jetmir the big fat cat uh leader of the cabaretti guild or family not this isn't ravnica brian jesus (laughs) (laughs) uh he gets her attention he's like you you've got talent uh if you're willing to do me a favor i'll get you uh, a spot singing at the club up on the heights um 
So <laughs> she is eager to get the job and she finds that she's smuggling some Halo to Henzi Toolbox Torre on a train up to Park Heights when the train is stopped by some riveters. Now, Kit is brilliant because she has thought about this or what could possibly happen if she were to get apprehended. So she has kind of uh, swapped where the vials are to where they were, where she picked them up because originally they were given to her in a bag and she has swapped them into, I believe, the lining of her clothes. If I'm, She's got like pockets in her jacket that she's, she's put them in like, I, the story implies that she has already had those pockets because she's done this before. So she's like already got little smuggling pockets in her coat. Yeah, it, it, it's really smart. So the uh, the Riveteers stop the, the train or the, the subway uh, and uh, Agnes gets on and is threatening the people on the trains like if, if whoever has these uh, this package of halo doesn't turn it over no one's going anywhere because they're essentially between subway stops and they are uh, on wo- on wires basically between the stops <laughs> so kit causes a distraction and hops out um and starts running across rooftops and Agnes takes up the the chase <laughs> um so she tosses her bag with the new dress as it like to kind of get uh, Agnes off of her case and she makes it up to the delivery point, but she no longer has a dress <laughs> to perform. Uh, but she, she makes do. Uh, <laughs> she, she kind of fixes her appearance um, and like makes it to the club and starts singing and sees Agnes in the crowd <laughs> and changes her last song to kind of taunt him. <laughs> and it's 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 hilarious. And uh, at the end, Jetner welcomes to the family, and it, it's 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 great. It's, it's hilarious because I, I love the fact that she changed the song to taunt Agnes, and that's just gold to me. Yeah, it's a uh, Kit has a lot of really good character in this story. Um, she's very much like this, like plucky, like songstress. It's very, I don't know how to like describe the character. Um, she's just good. She's fun. Uh, she also is friends with all the pigeons in the city, which is something that you just wouldn't get from the card at all. <laughs> but yeah, like Kit is like the whole like the beginning of the story. She's like used to people ignoring her when she's singing in the subway, but the pigeons always listen. And then, like, later in the story, there's, like, all these, like, talks about pigeons, and she keeps seeing the pigeons. And then when she, like, drops the bag, and, like, Agnes thinks that she's, like, dropped all the halo, uh, she escapes by singing to the pigeons. And the pigeons pick her up and carry her up to Park Heights. And they are they are halo-enhanced pigeons. They are somehow, they're getting their hands on some halo. Uh, Kit sort of references the idea that these pigeons are, like, a gift from the angels or something or like, like they have some vestige of angel in them. Um, so it's just very cute. Uh, they, they, they've been pecking at the stat- angel statues for all this time. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. The pigeons have been on the statues and they're just absorbing the angels through the statues. That, that, that's my theory. I don't dig into it. <laughs> that is, that is, I didn't even think about that, Brian. That is, that is true. That has to be, uh, what's going on here. But, 
Kit is very cute and plucky and fun, and she, uh, it's a good story. It's really well written. Uh, Rhiannon Rasmussen, uh, incredibly good writer. We knew that from the Liesa story, but it's just very true. Uh, love the story in terms of like the writing and the language. It's got a lot of slang in it. Really love that part. Yep. I, I loved Kit. She's great. Yeah. It did make me kind of sad because she's got a really cool card, right? Um, she's like, she goads creatures. She like makes citizen tokens. Um, but it's, there's nothing about pigeons. And I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, that, that's definitely fair. I definitely had that same thought when I first saw her card. You know, if you want to, I will allow people to make 1-1 one, one, uh, bird tokens instead of citizen <laughs> tokens, uh, as long as you have an appropriate pigeon art. I That's the end of the Streets of New Capenna side stories, really. we got Or is it? One, well, kind of. Um, <laughs> it is, but... Yeah, we, we got one for each uh, family, except for the Riveteers, who were in all of the stories, mostly as villains. Uh, Hinzi was kind of fun. He was like a little devil who works at a candy shop. So that's cute. It's, uh, but that's, uh, that's about as much as we got about the Riveteers. So we, yeah, we'll discuss that later, but first, yeah, let's cover the last story. Um, and then we can talk about all of them, even though this last story, I feel like is not really a streets of new Capenna story. Um, it's just sort of like by virtue of release and characters mentioned in it. Uh, but it doesn't take place on New Capenna at all because this story takes place entirely on another plane that begins with New, and that's uh, New Phyrexia. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to jump into it if y'all are good with that. Uh, this story is A Garden of Flesh by Laura Gray. Um, this story has a lot of body horror. Um, if you are going to go read it and you have not experienced it yet, uh, just a little content warning for you. If you're grossed out by body horror and gore, um, this one's got a lot of it. I'm really honestly shocked by how much is in this story and it's published on the magic, you know, website. Welcome to Phyrexia. Yeah, it's Phyrexia. We're going to get a lot more of this. Uh, body horror is great. If you like that, uh, if you're into Phyrexians, um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, this story starts out with Elish Norn, who this is her first real story appearance. Um, as far as I'm aware, at least she like shows up being mentioned in other stories, but we get Elish Norn. Uh, and she's like speaking to a gathering of Phyrexian supplicants, some, you know, priests of Norn, if you're familiar with that card. Uh, and she's got this Mirren human girl in her claws, and she's like going to do the completion process in front of everyone. Uh, the phy- the phyresis process, I guess. Um, and uh, she feels like she recognizes something about this woman, but she can't really place it. And her thought is that, you know, no human that she ever meets survives because it's almost, un- it was, quote, it was almost unheard of for anyone to escape the machine orthodoxy. Almost unheard of. Uh, and so Norn decides that she's going to do the phoresis herself and she punctures her own wrist uh, and allows for glistening oil to flow out and onto this woman. And as she does this, the clouds begin to darken in the sky and she hears this rumbling that she assumes is like the gathered throng of worshipers. Um, and as she holds out the human and she says, you know, behold, perfection, uh, the oil starts overcoming her. But the woman's body begins to like shudder in a way that's more organic than mechanical. Uh, and the oil seems to be not having the appropriate effect. And Norn drops the woman on the ground uh, and the woman like her body kind of explodes and these like sinuous earthy roots grow out of her 
and her blood like seeps all over the stone. And Norn is like, oh, she was so corrupted by organic material that even she couldn't be saved. All right, I'm going to go now. And then like Norn just like walks away for a minute uh, and like lets her, you know, cleanup crew fix the mess. Uh, And then she comes back later and she's sort of like a little unsettled by what happened, which is unusual for, you know, a Praetor. Uh, And she sees a little tiny like plant growing from where the body had been out of the stonework there. And she's like, what is this heresy of organic material? Uh, And she goes to pull it from the ground and it's like stuck. And then she like pulls harder and then she pulls out what is like an entire human arm (laughs) attached to this plant. Uh, And it's, you know, organic fleshy arm. And she destroys it, and then she looks over and sees another plant, and she goes and pulls that one out, and then she keeps seeing more and more, and as she's, like, pulling these little weeds out of the stone, everyone she pulls out is, like, attached to, like, a foot, or, like, a string of teeth, or an earlobe, or, like, a lung, or kidneys, and it's all, like, organic, you know, there's, like, an intestine attached to these plants, and she keeps seeing them everywhere, they're popping out of the stone, she's just pulling human body parts from the ground. Uh, And she's feeling, like, this real uncertainty and fear and doubt. And she realizes that, like, she's got to be dreaming. There's no way. Like, she knows what dreaming is. She's seen humans dream. But she knows that Phyrexians do not dream. But she she realizes that she's having some sort of hallucination. She looks to the sky and she finally realizes this is the work of Ashiok, the Nightmare Weaver, who she has heard of before. Um, She confronts Ashiok. She calls them down and is like... I know you're here. Ashiok kind of glides in. They're, you know, smirking because this is very fun for Ashiok. <laughs> um, they admit to being very pleased with their work and testing their nightmare magic on Elish Norn to see if they could make Phyrexians have nightmares. Uh, they tell Elish Norn that they specifically used this image of this woman, Elspeth. And that's why Norn realizes why she recognized the human was because Elspeth was amongst the people who had attacked her basilica and failed and escaped. Elspeth being one of the only humans, non Phyrexians, to ever escape Elish Norn. Um, <laughs> well, she says almost and one of, so it could be Koth is the other one. Uh, but then Elish Norn sort of takes over this nightmare uh, from Ashiok and she sort of summons some Phyrexians to her side to fight off Ashiok's own nightmare creations. Uh, Elish Norn starts fighting back and using this sort of dream world to create her own like defense system within her own dreams. And Ashok is a little overwhelmed. Uh, Elish Norn does this really cool thing where she does like the marrow shards, you know, where she like makes little porcelain daggers from her own armor body and throws them. Uh, very cool. Um, Ashok's a little overwhelmed. And so what Ashok does is like a last, what they do is like a last ditch effort is they summon this sort of like image of Elspeth, uh, who looks like Elish Norn to sort of mirror Elish Norn, but like organic material. And so Elspeth like rises out of the ground and like a fleshy fleshiness. I, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Um, read the story. It's much better than my descriptions. Uh, and Elspeth comes out and is like, wearing the porcelain armor and crown like Elish Norn is and mimicking her movements. And it like freaks Elish Norn out a lot. She gets really unsettled by this idea that like there's this human version of herself kind of. And also like Elspeth looks at her with pity. 
and not like anger or fear, but like this sort of very human emotion. And Elish Norn does not like that. Uh, so she, you know, kills the vision of Elspeth. And like, there's like a moment where Elspeth is looking at her and like, it really unsettles her. And Ashok takes that as the opportunity to leave. Uh, and then one of the very, <laughs> yeah, one of the very last lines we get is, uh, and Elish Norn knew then with the same amount of conviction with which she worshiped the machine orthodoxy that in order to purge this new emotion she was feeling, this fear and uncertainty, she would need to find the human, Elspeth Terrell, and rid the multiverse of her. And this brings us full circle back to last week when Urbrask said that Elspeth was the only thing that Elish Norn feared. So, yeah, that's the whole purpose of the story. <laughs> Catch up with Elish Norn, see what's going on in New Phyrexia, and learn why Elish Norn is afraid of Elspeth, and it's because of Ashiok. Ashiok is, it really, this story really displays Ashiok's abilities in a way that we haven't really seen before. Like, we, we kind of saw it when she messed with Elspeth and got her to kill Daxos, but, like, the way that she was able to kind of manipulate Elish Norn the entire time was kind of really a good way of showing their true prowess. I know I just misgendered Ashok again. I'm so sorry. It really makes me sad. Um, but yeah, it's, they are, their, their power set is really interesting in the way that, um, the way that Laura Gray, uh, wrote Ashok in the story was brilliant. And I was also really impressed with, Elish Norn's responses and logic because like it all made sense like the characterization and her inner monologue like how she was analyzing the situation and came to the conclusion that something else was going on here was like it made sense to me for what I knew of the character um and it was super creepy like they did a great job with like the, the body horror like again it's like horror themes are not normally my shtick but this was really well done so yeah i mean we haven't gotten to see elish norn featured in a story um ever or at least <laughs> elish norn the character we have gotten uh vague references to in the lost confession but for the most part this is elish norn's story debut this is the current leader of the new phyrexian forces we haven't had an actual glimpse into what her leadership has been since ever. Because even mm. in Scars of Mirrodin, what we got of a story wasn't jiving with the creators as a whole. So for the most part, they were an afterthought and took over where you can imagine Glissa and Gathor kind of chilling out with Tezzeret. But for the most part, like this is the starting point for getting to see what the Phyrexian efforts are on the back end. And we know that Elish Norn is pulling the strings. We know that she is now manipulated into a fear of Elspeth. Why Ashiok felt the need to kind of like throw Elspeth under the bus. Ashiok <laughs> and Elspeth really, I mean, again, we have a missing novel in this point. So or missing novella. We don't really know what all went on. But obviously, Ashiok is willing to throw um, Elspeth under the bus to motivate this extra planar fear of Elish Norns. But it's also just like we get to see the face of the white-aligned New Phyrexia. 
that is kind of in control. But New Phyrexia is all five colors, but for right now, the White Aligned faction is in control. They seem to be the leadership efforts around sending play- people to extra planar locations and assumingly in charge of Jin and in charge of, by proxy, the Planeswalker compilation effort. But, like, this is this is the first time we actually get to see them, and they are being, um, you know, they're having their white-aligned virtues turned against them in the, or their white-aligned new Phyrexian virtues, because, of course, it's like the twisted worship of the machine orthodoxy and hating all things that are inorganic, which kind of... I mean, it is it is the white aligned faction, but just being able to see like how much um, fear can be stoked into them by an outside actor that didn't really have that much stake in it in the first place and has unknown motives here, it's very interesting. So I like I like taking it to the grander scale and her having an actual face of planeswalkerhood to fear. Yeah, we uh, we know from Elish Norn's very first card, the flavor text is uh, that Gataxians whisper among themselves of other worlds. If they exist, we must bring Phyrexia's magnificence to them. So we've known like Elish Norn's whole thing was going to be spreading beyond New Phyrexia since her very introduction. Uh, but now we see like we see the machinations of the plan, and we also see her interests going beyond just spreading Phyrexia, but also specifically defining Elspeth and killing her. Um, so we have like a more personal motivation, which I think yes. creates better story. And it's like a deeper, I guess, level of involvement in the conflict than you ever got with Yogmoth. Yogmoth was power-hungry god against what essentially were rival power-hungry gods. Like, there was no not... Not to say Yogwath was a planeswalker or anything, but like there was very little distinguishing factor between his madness and the madness that Urza eventually succumbed to during the invasion block. Like they're both just kind of wild fucking people, and, <laughs> and getting to see like the personal touch of Nephorexia and um, knowing that they have those flaws and that people are able to escape them and trying to work towards that perfection. It's interesting. It is much more um, nuanced take on Nephorexia, and I love it for that. So, Do you think if we spread the rumor on this podcast long enough that uh, Yawgmoth was a planeswalker, it would become canon? Like, do you please think, no, like, please, <laughs> do you think no, it would end up happening? No, no. It, it doesn't take that much. It takes, like, a YouTuber <laughs> making an off comment. Please, please <laughs> Please all stop. we all we have to do is get the professor to say that Yogmoth was a planeswalker no, and it'll be canon no. within a week. Um no, I yeah, I, I think this is uh a much needed story in the sense that we needed something to pull us into New Phyrexia, and this one has really done the job. Yes. Uh, which is valuable considering like, yeah, we got Vorinclex and that was really surprising, and Jin Cataxius was really cool as like a main villain, and then we got or sad puppy Urabrask, and it's like, all right, you know, he's he's there. Uh, he's an also ran in the the story of Streets of New Capenna. Um, and so it's like, all right, we've got kind of a little bit, but now being able to see Elish Norn on New Phyrexia is like, all right, we're here now. This is the story. This is the focus. We're going to be doing this throughout the rest of the year, probably. Um, you know, Phyrexians, it's the thing right now. You might know that. <laughs> but it's also... I I do wish this story came before New Capenna, 
because it would have been nice to <laughs> to have had some context for the fear when that got mentioned in Urabrask's story. It's not that much of a damaging element to have it introduced after the fact. It was just kind of a, we're all scratching our heads for a few weeks there until this comes out. But also, like, this is a sixth side story. You guys are allowed to do beyond the 5-5 five, five structure. I beg of you, do beyond the 5-5 five, five structure if you need six side stories and perhaps six main stories <laughs> to tell the full story of the set that you want to tell. Cool. If you want to do one side story and 11 main stories, I nobody will care. Like, obviously people will care enough to read. Nobody will care enough to take offense that their special yeah. side character didn't get a story because at this point, like, people are hooked. People are well, hooked heck, onto them. You can just... You can have your side characters in the main story. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> like, not to go Dominaria episode 12 or whatever it was, but when you, <laughs> when you have your cameos <laughs> coming. <laughs> and Yagmoth waved, because he was also there. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, you can fit everything that you need to, like, obviously prioritize the main story, because that is what people are being hooked on, and what people are expecting to follow through on. It was just kind of heartbreaking to see that episode five of the main story was received unanimously throughout the community as kind of a dud because people were like it felt like we needed a sixth story and like that is perfectly fine you guys can do a sixth story you guys can do it in a johnny comic you are free beyond the binds of what previous magic story structures did and i think even doing extra stories that aren't necessarily tied to the set, but do involve elements of the set, like this ashy oxide story. Perfect. Keep doing it. I mean, the main story of Streets of New Capenna did kind of get six stories because of the Arabrask one. Yeah, uh, I, I, it was like 5.5 5 yeah. at that point. <laughs> and you, you've got to imagine how upset Zeatora is that like there were six side stories and none of them were Riveteer stories. <laughs> Like, oh, we're gonna do we're gonna do five side stories, but you know we're gonna do this Urabrask one, so we're gonna cut the Riveteers. Oh, oh no, we're gonna do six, but it's also not about the Riveteers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, um, which is fine. Like that's also just like I guess the the upset of the faction sets because like Kaldheim, Zendikar, like you got three kind of side like three side stories for the most part. Some of them wove into the main narrative, some of them didn't. And then like two commander set stories that were totally unrelated and even like atemporal at that point where it was like not necessarily relating to whatever was going on in the current timeline. Mm -hmm. And it's like that's just as valid as doing five faction stories or four faction stories and the weird interval of the main story like i know they have a billion other expectations and one of those expectations is people getting their factions represented but at the same time um yeah like main story does have to take a little bit of priority here and and i do love this like you mentioned the dominaria story which by the way written by martha wells excellent writing wonderful story has some of my favorite fiction and all of magic in it with the Teferi stories. Um, also did feel like the ultimate fight of ultimate destiny or whatever at certain yeah. points when they're like assaulting the cabal and like, Oh look, there's Rada. Oh look, Yargle's here. Oh, Moldrotha showed up. <laughs> and it's just like, you're just like pointing out like characters who got legendary creature cards in the set and you're like, Oh, they're here and they're here and they're here. And it's like, Oh god, please don't do that. And it always feels like it's like those little snafus like, oh, Dominario is meant to be two blocks, 
but then it went down to one block. So all the story got crunched and some of the extra details got put out. And so we had to like compress everything for the main story or this mm-hmm. one where it's like, we traditionally do five sides, five main stories. So we did five main stories and then one kind of half side story. And then like you, you get a bonus one at the end, but it doesn't <laughs> actually like do the satisfying thing that people were kind of looking for from the main story. It just explains and contextualizes one of the lines given in a side story like it's like we have a lot of content but we also need to make sure that it's going to be a satisfying story at the end of the day because stories ending on a high note are always going to be remembered better than like stories that had four great episodes and then one that just kind of left everything to fall apart so just like big arcs when you have like multiple blocks setting up a very big thing and then you maybe put the final story behind a novel and then don't execute it exceptionally. <laughs> like when you bumble the ending, it is a little um, saddening to everybody who stayed along for the ride. So um, even having those low points along the way, making sure that you get to a good ending and have the space for a good ending. Imagine setting up like a, a big narrative arc over years and years and years and then fumbling the ball at the last minute uh, and then uh, getting that that player to pick up the ball and light it on fire again just to, you know, ram home the point. Um, but we're not talking about Forsaken here. We're going to just probably, <laughs> I guess, unless we have any more, more thoughts on the stories. I have thoughts on Forsaken, which is like, that's not what a necromancer <laughs> was, right? <laughs> um let's uh let's let's either finish wrapping up talk about the stories or let's uh do our final thoughts because i'm prepared for final thoughts are we are we good do we have any more comments on our on our streets of new capenna story this is the last episode of streets of new capenna story after this we're done we will never say this plane's name ever again until it gets revisited (laughs) until it comes up again that's how done we are i don't know about all that but we'll see (laughs) but yeah i think I'm, i'm ready for final thoughts well, why don't you uh, start us off? My final thought is that I got a new car today, or this week, and uh, it's a hybrid, and Ooh. I'm super happy with the mileage. It it's, makes me super happy. Couldn't, like, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money on a Tesla, even though, and especially with Elon Musk being an asshole. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm super happy, and it's great. Uh, what what a color, make, model, license plate, and VIN number. <laughs> <laughs> is it an electric um it, it's a hybrid it, it's okay just yeah it's yeah. uh i got a hyundai elantra hybrid nice i've heard good things about hyundai hyundai, hyundai. hyundai. Yeah. i feel like it, i feel like that will be my next car in approximately 10 years will be hybrid and then eventually we'll get widespread adoption for electric and can actually shift off this gas shit <laughs> yep that that that's that's kind of where i'm hoping to be as well like I'm hoping that I can use this car for 10 years, and by the time I'm ready to get rid of it, an upgrade, fully electric, non-Tesla fully electric will be a thing, or at least non-Elon Musk Tesla will be a a thing, so. Yeah. Uh, You know, my final thought was going to be about the new Destiny patch or update, which was, it's really good, it's really fun, it's really great, you know, all new solar ability things, Um, story's really good. Uh, but kind of going off of that, my final thought is how uh, absolutely messed up the market is for both cars and houses. Facts. Yeah, been helping my roommate shop for a house. It's it, it's a wild, wild world out there. 
Uh, but cars, fun fact, I bought my car uh, three years ago, just about. In a few months, it'll be three years. Uh, on a whim, looked up that exact same make, model, uh, and mileage, because I bought mine used, to see what does this car sell for today? Uh, more. About more. like 30, 30% more. My car has my car has appreciated in value. If I sold my sense. car right now, it would sell for 30% more than I bought it for. So um, what in the world is going on? You know what they're doing? <laughs> they're using these cars to mine all the Bitcoins, you know? <laughs> so. no, the, the, the chip shortage is yeah. making all these cars, like with smart, like, smart mm-hmm. like screens and whatnot, are making them more expensive on top of shipping and all the other stuff that's been delayed by COVID. So... My yeah. car is not that smart. It's like remedial at best. Well, a lot of the newer models are like if they can't Force make CTV, newer models, yeah. then then older cars are going to appreciate value because a lot of people who have wanted to buy their own cars so they don't have to use public transportation with COVID. Circa circa twenty seventeen, I went to Best Buy and got the last model of dumb TV that they had because I'm hell bent on never getting a smart TV, or if I do eventually get forced into a corner to buy a smart tv i will never connect that shit to any <laughs> any kind of home network i am just um i am not a smart adapter in my home so i definitely didn't want to buy a new car but kind of needed to for family issues so definitely not the best time to buy a car but i'm happy with the car that i got so yeah well uh carrie i think it's your turn <laughs> my final thoughts are uh, this game I've been playing, Destiny Two, has these solar patches. <laughs> <laughs> the the most critical thing you have to understand is that if I snap my fingers, then fire comes out. It like is I so am, satisfying. Like I am Roy Mustang, and <laughs> exactly. that is a okay in my book because I get to walk around and snap at ads or snap at bosses and then stack ignitions on them. And then, um, or stack scorch on them until they get ignitioned and then ignited and then they blow up. And I'm like, this is, this is the most fun I've had in a while. The downside to every Destiny expansion is, um, kind of like magic, but I think a little bit more so. There's just so many systems that you need to understand. Like, they have their seasonal reskin of the existing seasonal system. Um, that they do every single time and i'm like okay what's the placeholder currency this time <laughs> oh i have a cap of 500 ghost scares that i can collect and then i can get a ghost gun or a ghost armor it's like okay yeah, I, I do understand that you need to monetize it and get people playing every week but also like in the same way that i've been able to tune out seeing magic cards in my timeline i am slowly beginning to tune out any kind of seasonal stuff and it's like i will get the stuff that I want to get and never think twice about the stuff that I'm not interested in. And that's about where I am on destiny where it's like, I got the thing that I wanted to get, which was being able to snap my fingers and, um, (laughs) using Monte Carlo to amp that up as much as possible. So that I can (laughs) just keep snapping my fingers a whole bunch. But yeah, destiny two is a fun game. Just a little bit overwhelming for me at the moment. So my my favorite thing right now is that because they reworked how the the fire class works, the solar class is that everyone's using it, and so like you go into like a big multiplayer area and there's just fire everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, it's just drenched in fire. I, we I was playing Overwatch two um, beta when that was available, 
exact same thing where it's like they have one new hero and two majorly overworked tank heroes and it's like every single game are like okay one of the tanks on the team is one of those two reworked tanks and then the one of the dps's is the new dps character and it's like those two are on auto lock nobody will get to play them except for these people who happen to queue in faster than you it's like i mean yeah i guess it's it's just fun for people to experiment with new stuff and same deal in that case it's real fun. Um, we've been uh, we've been sharing some of our, our Destiny two uh, builds and looks on the Discord. This is a this is a segue, as they call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, on our Discord we have a channel all for talking about gaming in general, and we've been talking about Destiny two. We also have movies channel where we've been talking about movies and TV stuff. We've been talking about Morbius. Let's not lie. <laughs> We're on the it's, Morb. Morb train. We got the we we got the Morbius channel where we Morb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't make me create it. <laughs> Please don't. Oh my god. We did add a Morbius emote today. Uh, I don't know why that happened. It it just did. Um, lots of engagement very suddenly with people morbing out. Um, but, uh, that's our, our discord and you can join our discord by, uh, subscribing to our Patreon at $1 a month that gets you access to our discord server. That's $1 a month. That number, uh, will not go up very suddenly. Uh, it will not be 30% more than it was three years ago. It's still just a dollar a month. Uh, and then, uh, for $3 a month, you can join our live listen and you can hear us talk about nightmare houses before we record um or uh you know just you can hang out and listen to us talk and provide us some feedback uh one of our live listeners reminded us that you can pet the dog in destiny 2 now um that is a thing you you can can do yeah you can pet the dog where there's uh, i think there's like an emote now that lets you pet. oh okay um i have to look into it i feel like they did that specifically for that twitter Twitter absolutely yeah that twitter account has so much power um (laughs) If you want early access to our playmat, we'll probably announce it and take interest from our Discord before we open it up to the public. So uh, go look at that art that is currently posted on the Twitter. Uh, as of today, it will have already been there since like Friday because I think it's going up tomorrow. Um, so you can go look at that and see if you want the playmat. And then uh, our Discord will be the first people who get to you know buy it probably. So uh, yeah, go go do that. Um, I think that's the end of the pitch. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.